Podcast Movies Edition, presented by Phil Hinton. Hello and welcome to the November Movies Podcast. Coming up, we have the cinema news and reviews. We also review Spider-Man Trilogy on UK Blu-ray and Robinson Crusoe on Mars on Region 1 DVD. And we also give you our viewing recommendations for this Halloween. From AV Play, it's this week's DVD and HD news and reviews. So joining me this month on the Movies Podcast, it's the first time he's made it onto the podcast, it's Keith Hurst. Hello, Keith. Uh, hi, Phil. And also joining us, as always, is uh, Chris McAnini. Hi, Chris. Hello. Hello, folks. Okay, so we're going to kick off, uh, as always, with the cinema news, and uh, I guess the first person to start talking about what they're looking forward to coming up at the local uh, flea pit very soon is Keith. So, Keith, what are you looking forward to? Oh, there's uh, a couple of things I'm looking forward to, really. Uh, first on the horizon for me would uh, be the lookout. I managed to actually take this in a wee while ago for the for AV play, and uh, it's a good enough film. It's a bit momentous, you know. It's uh, about a young guy, promising athlete, promising ice hockey player, has an accident which uh, foolishly he himself causes, and uh, has some brain damage and is uh, a bit disadvantaged after that, shall we say? And people start taking advantage of him. And because of this, uh, a group of rogues decide to take advantage of him and heist the bank in which he works, promising, promising him riches and, and all that goes with it. So it's a good enough romp, really. I would certainly uh, recommend this to anyone. OK, so that's uh, The Lookout, and that's released on the 2nd of November. And uh, also, understand you're looking forward to Sicko. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Michael Moore, actually. I've read a couple of his novels, and I caught a bit of his TV stuff uh, a long, long time ago. And the, the two documentaries that he's done since that time, uh, The Bowling for Columbine and The uh, Fahrenheit 911, I thoroughly enjoyed this time, uh, Michael Moore has, has dived into the quagmire, which is the, the U.S. Health Service and the insurance that goes along with it. And uh, from what I've been hearing and from what I've been reading, he's opening up a can of worms about people who perhaps pay the insurance, but uh, maybe it runs out uh, halfway through their, their, their time in hospital and then they have to leave, whether they're, 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 they're better or not. So... Uh, I could certainly recommend any Michael Moore documentary to anyone and Sicko, definitely go and have a look at it and maybe just realise how good the NHS actually is really, you know. Okay, moving on. And uh, Chris, what do you have for us this month? Well, there's a film which has just opened um, just before this recording from David Cronenberg called Eastern Promises and it's uh, about the Russian mafia and their sordid involvement in the underworld of London. Uh, we have Viggo Mortensen starring as um, what I think is a, a virtual mafia cleanup guy. In other words, he's an assassin, and you know he, he does the, the, the necessary dirty deeds on order. Um, and somehow or other, he becomes involved with Naomi Watts, who plays um, a young midwife who's looking into the suspicious death of a young girl. And the two of them must somehow or other 
you know, wade through the horrible, nefarious underworld of London with these shady Russian types. Um, David Cronenberg, again, this is a bit of a departure for him by the sound of things. Uh, or is it because the king of body horror and, and the new flesh, it does appear from what I've read so far about the movie, um, that elements of that are still there, especially in, in, in view of the fact that Viggo Mortensen seems to cover his body in tattoos of previous hits and jobs that he's undertaken as a means of documenting uh, his career thus far and impressing potential new mob bosses. Uh, apparently it's very, very violent in places, but it's, you know, it's a very atmospheric, moody sort of you know, thriller. And also, quite refreshingly, it shows London from, again, it's a Canadian not as opposed to an American director, but when foreigners tend to film London, there's always the ubiquitous red bus there, the Tower of London, Big Ben, all that sort of thing. Apparently you don't see any of that. It, it could be anywhere. Um, and, you know, I think it, it sounds quite refreshing to me and quite nasty as well. So I'm looking forward to that. It, it's out right now. It came out on the 26th, so it, it's, a, it's a fresh release. Um, but it's certainly coming very highly recommended by all and sundry. With Halloween coming up very, very soon, 30 Days of Night, that looks interesting. Oh, God, yeah. I, I don't know if you guys have read the, the comic book it's based on, but this, this looks absolutely amazing. It's only Certificate 15, which always seems to be, you know, it's meant to be a gore-drenched vampire bloodbath. But Certificate 15, you think, oh, what are they going to do with that? Is it watered down? Is it cut away at the last moment? Are we going to get an unrated version at some point later down the line? Who knows? Who cares? Its general release is actually on the 2nd of November, and it stars Josh Hartnett. Some people will go, oh, no, when you mention his name. But he's the local sheriff of an Alaskan town called Barrow, who sadly um, is going to have to undergo the ubiquitous 30 days of night, i.e. the sun goes down there, for a month and doesn't come up again, which is why the vampires choose to feast unmolested by sunlight or anybody else. It's a smorgasbord of, of, of humanity which they can chow down on to their heart's content. Um, it's a great idea and it's a great comic book as well with a few spin-offs which have you know, garnered a lot of fans since as well. And it's also got Melissa George, who used to be in Home and Away, and who also starred in the Amityville Horror remake, She's very nice. There's reason enough to go and see it in the first place. But from the stills that I've seen, the vampires this time out look absolutely amazing. Uh, they are barbaric, but there's, there's something been done to their eyes. They, they've got sort of alien-esque sort of faces with like wickedly slanted eyes, and jet black eyeballs, and oh, it looks fantastic. I really, really am looking forward to that. Okay, so uh, moving on, Chris, I understand uh, you have been to the Flicks, so what did you go and see, and uh, is it recommended? Yeah, I went to the Flicks, and I managed to catch 310 to Yuma, which is James Mangold's remake of the old Glenn Ford and Van Heflin atmospheric western about uh, a guy who must take care of a rather sordid baddie, a railroad-robbing baron, um, and get him on the 310 to Yuma, which is going to take him to you know, the Hangman's Noose, basically. The, the original film was a, was a classic of its kind, very atmospheric, but also very stagey as well, because there, there wasn't a great deal of action in, this, in that one. This time out, James Mangold manages to procure himself two absolutely top A-list actors, um, and they happen to be also my two favourite actors around at the moment, Christian Bale and Russell Crowe. Christian Bale plays the, uh, the hapless rancher, down on his luck, also down on one leg as well because he, he's lost his leg, one leg from the knee down owing to an accident in the Civil War. Um, he can't afford the, the payments on his ranch 
should have read the small print, shouldn't he? There's a railroad railroad coming through, and they, they want him out the way. The usual grief that these frontier people seem to have. He also wants to appear like a proper man, a proper hero in the eyes of his kids. So he jumps at the chance of getting $200 to babysit Ben Wade. Now, Ben Wade is played by Russell Crowe. He is the big bad guy. He is the leader of a gang, a very vicious gang, who have been preying on the, uh, the railroad for quite some time. Owing to a slight cock-up in timing, Ben Wade gets himself caught. The Pinkertons have got him, the Pinkerton agency, that is, and you know they need to get him on the 310. Of course, his gang's not going to let that happen, so they're going to pursue these guys across the wilderness, and including a little ill-advised detour into Apache country as well, and stop at nothing to get their, their main man back. Now, this is not exactly new, this sort of plot. Basically, good guy, bad guy, lots of grey areas in between, and you're going to have some sort of burgeoning mutual respect for each other. They're going to bond, aren't they? There's no spoiler there, folks. The whole film is basically about that. And very exciting it is, too, in places where the original film had very little action at all and it was suspenseful build-up until the climax. This film starts off with a bang. You have plenty of shootouts and chases and all sorts of things all the way through it. But, strangely enough, the, what drew me to it was the, uh, the pairing of these two superstars. Both of them are extremely intense. Both of them give their all to characters. And to see them together on screen, you would guarantee sparks to fly. Well, they do, but they don't fly very far. It is not the fault of these two guys at all. It's the screenplay. Russell Crowe thoroughly enjoys his time as a bad guy. He's charismatic. He's vicious. He's dark-hearted. But he, at, least he is, at least he has got a heart as well which you will come across at some point. Um, and he's great. He really, really has a, a fine old time. He's very lyrical. There's, there's a, a, a gruff charisma there, which you can see why his gang would want him back. You can see why people would fall for him, why you can bond with people. Bale, Crow, for a long time now, they've been vying for the top slot, in my opinion. Uh, with Bale recently sort of been nudging Crow out the way. But with this performance here, Crow steals the movie. Um, he wrestles it from under Bale's feet because Bale is so he gives it his all but he's just not so well written it's too obvious too typical a role he's very good don't get me wrong but it's just he can't really compete you're not really moved by his plight in the way that you should be um, and you're certainly uh, more drawn towards Ben Wade but you know the, the film is still certainly worthwhile except I came away think, feeling vaguely unsatisfied by it, purely because you didn't get the big showboating, you know, fantastic chemistry between these two superstars, which you, you know, you are going to expect. But you know, I had a great time with it anyway, and it's it's more like a an old style western. We're not talking revisionist stuff here. I mean, you've got that with Brad Pitt's new Jesse James picture, which is now coming out very soon. But this is like. Parks back to the old days, but adds a bit more violence into it. It's a bit grittier, a bit nastier, a bit more action-packed. And it's got a great role for um, Peter Fonda as well, playing it very serious. And in fact, I had a tough time recognising him. I knew he was in it. And I'd been watching him for like, the first half hour and didn't realise it was him. That's just me being a fool, obviously. But he plays a great part in it. Very very serious, very down the line. Not what you normally see of Peter Fonda, especially like the likes of his cameos that he's had in the last few years anyway. But yeah, 310 to Yuma. It's been out for a little while now. Probably more of a film for fans of the Western genre anyway. 
So there you go. That's what I saw. So what's your scores on that one then? Um, for the movie as a whole, it would get a, a resounding seven, which, you know, it does what it sets out to do. Okay, well, thanks very much, Chris. And uh, moving on, we have DVD and HD disc news coming up next. You're listening to the AV Podcast. And moving on, it's uh, now time for the disc news. And kicking us off is Chris. So, Chris, your first bit of news for us, please. There's a film coming out right now, which is Stardust, based on Neil Gaiman's um, graphic novel. Paramount Home Entertainment are bringing this out on December 18th. List price of $39.98. Sienna Miller, Robert De Niro, Claire Danes, Michelle Pfeiffer, directed by Matthew Vaughan. Um, and of course, the screenplay is co-written by Mrs. Jonathan Ross herself. So it's an escape into an enchanted world of chivalry and romance. It doesn't, isn't it something to be a falling star, which someone's going to go and collect and woo this beautiful girl. And it's, it's all fantastical adventure. Um, I haven't seen it at the flicks and I'm not entirely sure I'm going to bother with it at all because I don't know it just doesn't seem to hook me and I do love fantasy movies altogether but I don't know this one doesn't even do it anyway it's coming out aspect ratio of 2.35 to 1 we have three audio format no we only have one audio format in English Dolby Digital Plus hmm so a few people will be frowning about that one yeah and that's so that's Stardust on HD DVD coming out on December 18th Okay, Chris, and uh, moving things on, I understand you want to talk to us about Pan's Labyrinth as well, which is coming out HD, DVD, and uh, also Blu-ray minus the web-enabled content. Yeah, Pan's Labyrinth, Guillermo del Toro, um, another excellent movie from a true, true movie auteur working at the moment. Um, It is a a fantasy story. It's a horrific Spanish Revolution story all rolled into one. Brilliant, brilliant movie. Received plaudits from everybody, it seems. Uh, that comes out on HD and Blu-ray, as you say, on December 26th. Um, it's an unrated disc as well. Uh, you have quite a lot of things on this. Uh, you've got a video prologue by Guillermo del Toro. He also supplies a commentary track. You have lots of featurettes uh, to do with the making of it, obviously, and it's the film's impact. You have animated plates, which presents a sort of prequel to the stories of the giant toad, the fairies, Pan, and, and the infamous pale man from the movie. You have a director's notebook, something else which Del Toro seems to like doing uh, for his, his, his releases, which is interactive menu pages accessed via video pods that feature more exclusive interviews and other characters and different aspects of the movie as well. Multi-angle storyboards, obviously the effects are covered, lots and lots of stills galleries, and it's a very, very comprehensive looking package altogether. On the HD disc, you actually have some um, exclusive content, an enhanced visual commentary, which is obviously going to be, from what it sounds like, a picture-in-picture type of thing, uh, which the Blu-ray is going to have to ditch, and web-enhanced features. Additional interactive features available through your HD player's internet connection. The aspect ratio is 1.85 to 1. We have a Spanish DTS HD lossless master audio 7.1 surround track. Now that should be pretty much awesome for those of you who can actually hear it in its full splendor. I've got no doubt it's going to sound great anyway, uh, however you're going to listen to it. But this is a, that's definitely one of the, the films at the top of my list come Christmas time. It's going to be awesome. I love the movie and that's going to be a great, great disc. And Chris, just rounding off the HD DVD news, is uh, White Noise. Yeah, White Noise. Michael Keaton, some kind of supernatural weirdness. Um, yeah, 
I didn't bother watching this when it first came out. I know people that did see it. I don't know anyone that liked the film, to be honest. What's it about? It's an architect who loses his wife in a tragic accident, and then he turns to the shadowy, unnerving world of electronic voice phenomenon, communication from beyond the grave. So, obviously, he's going to make some kind of shocking discovery, and a portal to another world will be opened, and, of course, that's never a good thing in movies, is it? Something nasty is bound to be lurking there as well. Well, this comes out on HD on January the 8th, and its listed price is $29.98. The disc actually features an audio commentary with the director, Jeffrey Sachs, and with Michael Keaton as well, and it's got some deleted scenes. HD exclusive content, my scenes. Mmm, yes. It's a VC1 transfer, 2.35 to 1, and we have an English Dolby True HD 5.1 surround track, as well as a Dolby Digital Plus 5.1 surround track. So... For the fans of the movie, I'm sure they're going to lap it up. Um, I think it's one to possibly avoid, in my case anyway. Thanks, Chris. Uh, moving on, just a couple of quick uh, UK releases. 19th of November, uh, we have Wolf's Creek on Blu-ray and HD DVD. And also Pan's Labyrinth makes it across here as well on HD DVD. And uh, quickly looking through the extras, it looks like everything is on there that Chris just mentioned in his previous story. So moving on, uh, UK Blu-ray as well as US Blu-ray. And we have The Simpsons movie coming up, and Keith's going to talk us through that one. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this immensely, uh, in all honesty. I, I didn't get the opportunity to, to see it when it was doing the rounds in the summer there, so I'll definitely be picking this one up on disc. It uh, obviously covers Springfield's favourite uh, family, The Simpsons, and uh, how Homer's pig almost causes a major disaster. I mean, spider pig, I mean, what a concept that has to be, really. In terms of the disc features, uh, you've got audio commentary with uh, James Brooks and Matt Gronig, some of the cast there in- included as well. You've got a few featurettes, a few deleted scenes, and a, a Homer's monologue on The Tonight Show, apparently. The aspect ratio for this is uh, 235 to 1. It's coming in at a full uh, 1080p with an MPEG-4 transfer, and lovingly, it's been given a DTS HD Master Audio 5.1 surround. So I think lovers of The Simpsons will be eagerly awaiting getting this disc, be it on uh, Blu-ray or on standard def. I don't know if it's coming out on HD DVD or not, really. Uh, No, it won't be because it's a Fox title. Um, So it's 10th of December for the UK release and, uh, funnily enough, another eight days, 18th of December for the US Blu-ray release. And uh, rounding up the Blu-ray news, Keith, uh, shoot 'em up. Yeah, so we have shoot 'em up here. Uh, it's going to be released January the first next year. Actually, it's starring Clive Owen and uh, Paul Giamatti. Uh, it's, apparently, it's a, a fast-paced action thriller, a shoot 'em up with uh, kicks into high gear with a memorable opening scene. Clive Owen stars as Mr. Smith, who's a mysterious loner who teams up with an unlikely ally to protect a new, newborn baby from a determined criminal who hunts them throughout the bowels of the city. Not my kind of thing, I wouldn't have thought. I may give it a, a brief watch on, on rental first before I, I did decide to, to buy it or not. In terms of the disc features, we have uh, an audio commentary. We have a documentary called uh, the, the Ballot of Bullets, which is the making of a shoot 'em up That certainly sounds riveting. Uh, we have a few deleted scenes and we have theatrical trailer. Uh, there's some HD exclusive content, which is picture-in-picture video commentary. It's coming in at 1080p, but unfortunately I can't tell you what codec it's using at this point in time. Its aspect ratio 
is 235 to 1 again, and this time it's a 7.1 DTS HD Master Audio track. So that could be quite impressive on its own, really. And that rounds up our news for this month, and coming next is the reviews. The highest definition. 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 This is the AV Forums Podcast. And moving on to our reviews, and first up is Chris. So, Chris, what have you been looking at this month? Well, in a month that's been rife with lots and lots of fabulous releases on high def and Blu-ray, it's actually a standard release that I'm going to talk about tonight, and it's the Criterion Collection release of Byron Haskins' Robinson Crusoe on Mars. Now, a lot of people are going like, what? Robinson Crusoe on Mars? How hokey does that sound? And yet, it's a pretty naff title, to be honest. But the film does follow... Daniel Defoe's classic, classic story of Robinson Crusoe almost to the T, except that it's not on a desert island. It's on a deserted desert planet of Mars. And um, a wonderful piece of sci-fi realism, it turns out to be nowhere near as hokey as you might expect. I first saw this film a long, long time ago, and it made a real deep impression on me. For years, I couldn't track it down. It was on Criterion's Laserdisc for, for quite some time. It was quite the darling of their, their collection because it was so rare to get hold of. Um, and it didn't seem to have, ever have a DVD release that I could track down. And it never got shown on TV, as far as I could see. So all I was left with was a, little, a few little snippets in sci-fi uh, movie books and memorabilia and a few little stills I could look at and my own distant rose-tinted memories of it. So when it finally got released this month on... Um, from Criterion, Region 1. I couldn't believe it. Couldn't wait for this. And boy, did it not disappoint. It's a great, great movie. You start off, it's basically, um, there's an orbital spacecraft from Earth with two astronauts on it and a monkey. Why is the monkey there? Well, for experimental purposes and purely because he's their mascot as well. You have uh, Adam West, the 60s Batman, is the commander-in-chief. But don't worry, he doesn't last too long at all because to avert a collision with some bizarre flying fireball through to the cosmos, the, the poor orbiting spacecraft ends up drifting lower into the Mars' atmosphere and ends up hopelessly hooked inside this, uh, this well, what would out to be a death trap. So they have to evacuate the, uh, the, the craft. Poor old Adam West is killed uh, on the crash landing and the other guy, played by Paul Mantee, who is Colonel Kit Draper, he survives. And he has to then forge a, you know, a living on this barren alien planet, which no one's ever been to before. And it's done in such a very realistic fashion uh, that you wouldn't believe. Now, it's very clever because what they did at this time, Baron Haskin was the guy who made War of the Worlds, the celebrated 1950s version. Um, Oscar winning as well um, and a great film that was too but I think this one actually has the edge on it because of the realism aspect of it and what they did they approached the fledgling NASA and asked them what found out everything about, they could about Mars all the known theories about Mars at the time which were vastly different than they are right now so they even got the, uh, the equipment the engineering and technological side of it the atmospheric side of it and how someone could possibly in that sort of field of belief that they had then, how they would survive on that planet. And it follows it to the T. So you have basically half the movie is poor old Paul Manti trying to find how he can breathe after his oxygen cylinders are going to exhaust themselves, how he's going to find food, how he's going to find water, how he's going to find shelter. 
And it's very, it's, it's kind of pragmatic the way it goes about it. Um, he does it in a very cheerful disposition. He, he's facing death on many, many an occasion in it. And he makes a voice recording of his encounters and what's going to happen to him and the effects the atmosphere is having on him and loneliness, lack of food, all that kind of stuff, in, in hope that someone who may land there in the future may find this recording. And in that respect, it's it's sort of very... The way America was at the time, America had just entered the Vietnam War. America was also you know, heavily engaged in winning the space race, but this was the start of the space race. So there's a very keen, optimistic, and very gung-ho value to this movie. It's a historical snapshot of the way that nation viewed themselves at the time and the way they wanted their rivals to view them as well. But it's gripping stuff. Of course, at some point in the film, if you're going to follow Daniel Defoe's book to the letter, you're going to have to have Man Friday, aren't you? Now, this is where the film maybe throws a bit of a, a wobbler. Uh, again, these aren't spoilers. This is, this, what the stuff, this is the stuff that you were meant to know. This was the basic, the basic plot of the movie. An alien escapes from his captors who are mining the planet and uh, obviously Robinson Crusoe, Kit Draper, manages to save him and the two of them form an alliance and, and a bond and get by together and make their survival as a team. And it's great. It, it's great, but it's also a bit dizzy. So you have one half of the movie which is totally riveting and uh, realistic, and the second half, it, it evolves into adventure and a bit more comic book stuff. And to see it now... Um, on this standard Criterion release is nothing short of revelatory because their transfer is absolutely amazing. Now, yeah, it's taken from a high-definition master, but of course we're not talking... In this era now of high-definition um, discs, it's not in that kind of league, but my God, it, I watched it on a 1080p screen, 52-inch 1080p screen, and it blew me away. Close-ups are absolutely indelible. They're fantastic. Marvellously etched um, crags on Paul Mantee's face, the rock features of the landscape around him, the bright, vivid colours of the alien ray beams um, and the, the Martian skies and the fireballs. Another great touch, they have these drifting fireballs which just wander across the planet's surface like burning tumbleweeds. It's just great, totally surreal and unrealistic, you know, as far as we know about Mars's actual landscape, but great visual stuff to look at. Great fabulous score as well, very atmospheric which comes over well in the mono. It's it's only a mono track, but my God, the sound engineering on this is absolutely fantastic. You have ships which literally appear, obviously, visually, they fly over your head and disappear off into the distance. But the way this mono track has been engineered, you are getting those different directionality of sound, albeit one channel, it's absolutely so, I was going to say immersive, it's not immersive, obviously, but it's just so well detailed, so well nuanced. I've not heard a mono track quite like this before, and it was very, very um, interesting and entertaining to listen to. You have a whole bunch of extras on this, um, and they're, they're, they're pretty good. You've got a commentary track, which is all from people, including um, Paul Mante, who plays the main star, um, Victor London, who plays the alien who becomes his man Friday. You have um, screenwriter Ib Melchior, and you also have um, Byron Haskin and Robert Skotak from various interviews that have been taken and they're recorded separately, but it's a great, great treasure trove of anecdotes and trivia. Uh, very, very interesting stuff. You've got a kind of slanted documentary, which is um, Destination Mars, which is a new featurette uh, directed and written by a fellow called Michael Lennick, who did a, a quite a massive TV series about the, the space race and you know mankind's fledgling adventures into the, uh, the universe. 
and he knows this stuff as well. But this takes a, a kind of kind of weird look, a slanted look at the movie because it doesn't give you the making of it as such. It just kind of looks at the technology that they use in the film and how prescient it was, how it foretold what things that would come into um, fruition, like the lunar landing module with its landing struts, which, of course, no one had ever dreamed of that. And this film actually had them in quite in an accurate depiction. Video uh, recording equipment, lots of things. It, it covers that side of things very, very well. You also have excerpts from uh, Ib Melchior's original screenplay. You also have, uh, and this is truly amazing, is this. Victor London played Man of Friday. I'm not too sure what else he's been in, uh, although he looks very familiar. And I'm sure people will, would, you know, could possibly furnish me with the details of what this guy's done as well. Uh, he's a bit wooden in the part, but he's very likeable as well. Looks like an Egyptian. It's a rather lousy costume that they give him, but it doesn't really matter. It's the camaraderie that strikes up. But Victor London, uh, because of the cult celebrity of the movie and going to conventions and things, and he's a bit of a songwriter as well, he came up with a, a song called Robinson Crusoe on Mars, which is about the lead character. And it's a country and western ballad. But my God, I, I don't know if it's just me, but it, I found it very, very affecting. And it's got a four and a half minute. A music video on it, which is a, a little bit corny. It involves a lot of clips from the film, a lot of scenes are clumsily repeated, but it's got some. Re- I, c- I couldn't stop playing it, and I, I can't get it out of my head even now. It's it's just a crooning oddity, but it's so worthwhile. It's great. Uh, you have some stills, behind the scenes, photos, productions, designs, promotional material, a theatrical trailer as well. But another great little feature of Criterion's release is you have a little booklet written by, again, the same guy who did the documentary, Michael Lennick, which is basically a, a little essay on the movie and its background, which is nice to read and a nice little memento inside the package. So all in all, Robinson Crusoe on Mars, I've reviewed it on the site and I urge you to, to read that. Ignore its hokey title. It's a fantastic slice of what was about to turn the tide of sci- the sci-fi genre when this film came out, Arthur C. Clarke and Stanley Kubrick were already beginning discussions and debates on how they were going to come up with 2001 A Space Odyssey, which of course is one of the most cerebral and intellectual sci-fi movies ever made. Now, Robinson Crusoe Mars, as hokey as I am trying not to make it sound, although it inevitably ends up being, is a step in that direction as well. And it's a, it's a wonderful sort of analysis of the psychology of how you survive on an alien world. And, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I urge any sci-fi buff out there to to pick it up. It's a great, great release. Uh, The transfer is truly astonishing. And the whole thing comes very highly recommended from me. So, Chris, how did you score that disc? Well, I gave that straight eights all the way through. There you go. Thoroughly recommended. Great film. Okay, thanks, Chris. And moving on, we'll go over to Keith. And, Keith, you've been looking at the Spider-Man trilogy box set on Blu-ray. Yeah, I was fortunate fortunate enough this month to uh, to get my hands on the actual uh, UK box set of this Blu-ray release. Uh, I was a big lover of the, the comics in the 70s when I was reading them avidly. Uh, and after that time, I did lose, lose touch with them. But uh, I was still interested in the character as a whole. So when they finally came onto, onto film, I rushed off to the cinema to see all of them. And 
equally when they were released on DVD, I picked them up and the, the, the films were of very good quality then, I thought. But I was eagerly awaiting the Blu-ray releases of them. I mean, I think everybody here knows uh, the background story of it. You know, we have Peter Parker, a sort of geeky, geeky student, really, a bit awkward around girls. Uh, him and his friends go to a lab on a day out school trip and unfortunately he gets bitten this time not by a radioactive spider but by a sort of genetically modified one and that alters Peter's life forever you know he's uh, now got the ability to uh, scale walls leap uh, buildings in a single bound and this and the other Unfortunately for Peter, uh, he has a, a misfortune. His uncle dies, and he commits himself to uh, fighting crime, as he thinks his his uncle would have liked him to do with these these newfangled powers. So there we go. We we have we have Peter fighting crime, and in the first one, we obviously we have Willem Dafoe, who absolutely camps it up as the Green Goblin. I thought he was fantastic as the Goblin. Really, there was a lot of detractors saying that, uh, you know, he shouldn't have been in a sort of hardwired suit and everything, but uh, you've got to give, uh, you know, some artistic license, so uh, it worked well enough for me. The films continue on, and it goes into, uh, obviously, with, with Spider-Man 2, we have uh, the, the great Alfred Molina coming back as, 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 as Dr. Octo Octavius, Doc Ock, uh, and, and he's a a brilliant Doc Ock, I thought. Um, very moody. A lot of his emotion came out in this film as well, from the actual feelings that he had. Not his passion for his work and his, his actual passion for his wife as well. And it just eventually, you know, he, he just gets sent over the edge when she dies, and uh, and he, he again lives this life of crime where he he has to fulfil his lifelong lifelong ambition. We, we progress on with, with Spider-Man 3, and Spider-Man 3 really, and I think everybody else thinks that there was just a little bit too much in it. The, the main baddie in here from, from Sam Raimi's point of view was the Sandman, and, and Raimi quite enjoyed this character. You know, he, he made bad choices in his life, and he made those bad choices because of his, his, his ailing daughter. And I thought that sort of pathos, he was wanting to explore a wee bit more. At the behest of the studios, he was really asked to to incorporate the Venom character, which was very big at the time in the comics and the and the, the serial animations on, on sort of Saturday morning television. So he put he put Venom in as well as a sort of final gasp, and it, it doesn't really work well. I mean, the Venom character is a superb character, and I think he should have had a film on his own, but he was slotted in here, which was, was a real shame, really. Also within Spider-Man 3, the, the other villain that we have is, uh, you know, we had Harry Osborn uh, coming back as the new Goblin and uh, trying to fight for his father because at this point in time he realizes, of course, that uh, Peter Parker, his best friend, and Spider-Man are one and the same person. And Spider-Man, he thinks, was ultimately responsible for his father's death. And he's, he's, on, he's on the revenge kick, really. And revenge is, is a theme permeating Spider-Man 3. And it, and it works quite well from that point of view. In terms of quality, uh, you know, audio and visually, it doesn't get any better than this. It really doesn't. The films are pristine. Uh, I always thought that the DVDs, I mean, they were okay, you know, acceptable enough transfers, I really thought. But here, they've they've gone above and beyond the call of duty. Uh, the images are so sharp, 
so colourful and so three-dimensional. I mean, let's let's take Spider-Man One, where we have uh, the sort of first outing of the Green Goblin. Uh, it's essentially we're at the sort of World Trade Fair, and he's he's floating around on his glider in and out of the balloons, and it is eye-popping. It really does stand out, and the colours in that scene are phenomenal. The detail that you're going to see in this scene and in in subsequent scenes is is amazing and and this this goes from strength to strength in all of the films culminating ultimately in 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 spider-man 3 which has an absolutely superb transfer uh i I think in the review online i I just couldn't fault it really uh the blacks are so deep yet so detailed uh in the shadow scenes where you've still got the sort of symbiotic blob crawling around uh you've got the dark suited spider-man uh climbing up uh areas of buildings uh in new york city and it's and it's all there for you to 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 see on this blu-ray release i mean obviously sony realized that this was going to be a a premium release for it and and they've they've done they've, they've supplied us with the goods here sonically bit of an odd one sonically really on on most of the the sony releases you're gonna get a a lossless you know pcm track and they do supply this for the spider-man 3 track and it is it's a very very nice track but for the for spider-man 1 and spider-man 2 they've, they've only done a true hd track you know which is a lossless track in itself but I just couldn't understand why why they didn't put a PCM on there as well, especially as I say because this is one of their premium releases, and you cannot really fault the the audio side of it. I've I've never heard Spider-Man as good as this. There's a a certain scene in in Spider-Man One in the warehouse where the fledgling Spider-Man uh, in his sort of pajama costume at this point in time his is is chasing down his uncle's killer and uh, he he captures him in a warehouse and and, and the killer lets fire a, a shot and it ricochets off the uh, the the metal constructs in the warehouse and it's ricocheting off your right surround speakers i think it was and uh, and you're thinking oh that's just really wonderful and it's absolutely pristine and it's there and it's detailed and then a second or two later when all this is gone you actually hear the bullet hit the floor somewhere in the background you know and it, it's phenomenal and and this again continues on for 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 both 2 and 3 and Keith, uh, how did you score the films and the uh, overall? Well, the films, I mean, Spider-Man 1's good. Uh, I gave that uh, an 8, an 8 out of 10. I, I preferred Spider-Man 2. I thought the, the characterization had all been done really well in in uh, Spider-Man 1. We got all the history, and so we jumped right into the action. Uh, Doc Ock was one of my favourite villains from the comics. I think it was one of other people's favourite villains as well. And Molina plays him uh, brilliantly with the superb set of of glasses. So I gave that one a nine. Spider-Man 3... Yeah, it lets the side down a wee bit, and it—I mean—it's still a fun movie, you know. It's still a roller coaster from from uh, from end to end. But I gave that a seven in the end. I thought they could have trimmed it and made it, maybe have made it two films, really. And I thought it would have been better for that. So that gets a seven for me overall on the box set. I would have given the actual film content itself a nine. On the video front, it's it's much the same. Uh, again, Spider-Man One. 
you know, it, it can't be faulted. It's a, it's a superb, it's a glorious transfer. There's no blemishes, there's no enhancement, there's no blocking. The colours are fine. They absolutely pristine and and fit within uh, within their borders perfectly as they do with with uh, Spider-Man 2 and 3 the detail on on the goblin's costume the detail in uh, Doc Ock's arms is amazing it's stuff i've never seen before uh, and it, it continues on with Spider-Man 3 the, the again the detail in that and the colors in that are fantastic i thought the black levels in Spider-Man 3 were a wee bit better and the, and the shadow sort of delineation was a wee bit better so uh, uh, for Spider-Man 1 i gave it a 9 for Spider-Man 2 i gave it a 9 but but three pips in both of the posts and i gave that a, a, a stonking 10 out of 10 because it is a, a superb transfer overall for the box set again uh, a sort of an average 9 really Audio, it's, it's much the same as the video, really. Uh, for Spider-Man 1, it gets a 9. Spider-Man 2, it gets a 9. And Spider-Man uh, 3. The PCM, for me, it was just... I mean, the, the, there, is, there is a true HD on Spider-Man 3 as well. But, I, I mean, and, and really, if that's what you have access to, then fantastic, because you're not going to miss out here. But, but for Spider-Man 3, the, the, the PCM, it just sounded a little tighter to my own eyes, uh, my own ears, rather. So, again, I gave that a, a 10 for, for the audio on Spider-Man 3. So, again, across the box set, uh, I, I, audio, I gave it a 9. I'd like, to, I'd like to add here as well that on Spider-Man 2, you also have Spider-Man 2.1, which you can play uh, optionally. You can either play Spider-Man 2 or you can play 2.1. And 2.1 just fits in seamlessly. There's 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 no pauses, no branches, this, that, and the other. Uh, and the additional scenes that are in Spider-Man 2.1 I thought worked pretty well. You know, I mean, I didn't actually get an opportunity to see 2.1 when it was on DVD. Uh, so I was glad to have it within this box set. The only scene that, that they did replace in 2.1, which lets it down slightly, is the, the, the scene where Spidey is you know, in the lift uh, with the sort of uh, executive. They, they, they had a different version of that, and that doesn't work quite as well. But apart from that, I mean, you can't really fault it. So across the board, in terms of scores, a steady nine. It's a it's a superb release by Sony. Okay, Keith, thanks very much for that, and that wraps up our movie reviews for this month. For up to the minute AV discussion and hardware reviews, visit avforums.com. And to wrap up this month's podcast, it's Halloween time, and to discuss what you should be watching in your home cinemas this Halloween, uh, we'll go to Chris first. And Chris, what are your recommendations for Halloween frights? This has been a bumper crop this month of, um, of Blu-ray releases for um, horror, horror products. And of course, as everyone probably knows, I'm an absolute devout horror guru. And uh, it's been a wonderful, wonderful Halloween for me lasts the entirety of October. In fact, it's virtually every night of the year anyway. But this particular month, I have particularly enjoyed Halloween. God, John Carpenter's seminal classic actually received a Blu-ray release. And what a release it was too. A contentious uh, issue was the fact that it's been slightly, well, quite actually, drastically altered from its original look. Um, but few, only a fool would argue that this is not a superlative transfer. God, it looks amazing. It's a tremendous movie. It is the stalk and slash demigod, let's face it. Um, the sequels were all of lesser calibre, uh, but the original is still the tried and trusted true uh, master of but knife held butchery uh, a wonderful wonderful movie and a great great disc on blu-ray if you can pick this up this is phenomenal the transfer will blow you away 
Also, we had to pick up um, Evil Dead 2. Fantastic film. A surrealist, absurdist comedy horror. The film that Sam Raimi claims he wanted to make all along with the first Evil Dead. It kind of rewrites the first Evil Dead. It jettisons a lot of the bloodshed. It waters it down. It's still exceptionally violent, but it's more in a Tom and Jerry sort of Hanna-Barbera mould of, you know, frying pans in face and laughing in the, in, you know, in the face of bodily dismemberment. It's tremendous, tremendous film and a reasonably good transfer on Blu-ray as well. A bit of a mixed bag, really. Some elements are very, very um, high-def quality. Some are not. Uh, and you'll find that's kind of roughly the, the trend with a lot of the releases that came out. Zombies, if it's zombies is your thing, Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead came out as well. Stars and Anchor Bay did themselves proud with their release of Dawn of the Dead. It's the original unrated theatrical cut from America. So it's still not the full-length version, which I would prefer, but it's a fantastic film. It's not a scary film. It's not really one for Halloween, but it's a great, great horror milestone, even so. Um, Transfer-wise... My God, it is the detail on this is truly, truly amazing. It's absolutely crystal clear to a detriment because all of a sudden Tom Savini's mm, celebrated but also very primitive effects are really shown up for what they are. You can sadly see where the blue or green emulsion paint on the zombies' faces ends and their real flesh begins behind their ears, backs of their necks, eyelids and around the eyes. So it kind of loses a little bit of its mystique but my god, it looks it looks it looks great beyond that, and it's a truly amazing film. Day of the Dead came out as well. Another another classic. Um, nowhere near the same league as Dawn of the Dead. Not the film that George Romero intended to make all along, but still, you know, it's it's a grungy, down and dirty, nasty movie. Um, and once again, stars and anchor bait have done it proud when it comes to the uh, the old clarets, because my god, they've enhanced the red. It, and the wounds, the detail, the close-up wounds, the bites, oh, it's a gorehound's delight, without a doubt. Certain other aspects of the, of the of the disc and the transfer aren't so good. It's got a very, very bad uh, PCM track. Don't touch it with a barge pole. They've mismanaged the uh, the channel um, directionality. And there's actually a moment where the sound seems to get sucked past you and, and ends up in the, in the, the front left speaker, which it certainly shouldn't do. Uh, and there's other moments akin to that throughout. So, But luckily it's got the mono track on it too, so stick with that. Uh, other horrors at the moment, you've got Dracula. Bram Stoker's Dracula got released as well. Another contentious one because the, uh, the colour had been drastically altered and made more realistic. Anyone who, who's seen Bram Stoker's Dracula will know that it was always a very flamboyant, opulent, uh, really richly colourful uh, experience. Well, it is to a, to a degree now, but a lot of the scenes have been watered down to a more natural kind of palette. Yeah, you are either going to like that and accept it, or you're going to hate it. But the film is still a mesmerising experience, and although not particularly frightening, it's more of a love story, a gothic adventure-come-love story. But it's still great, it's eerie. And for Halloween night, early on in the proceedings, if you're having a horathon, it's quite a nice one to settle into. A nice little um, free son of unease. Uh, also, what came out this month was on, on Blu-ray was From Hell. Uh, the Huge Brothers did, uh, with Johnny Depp playing Inspector Abilene, they tackled the Jack the Ripper mythos from the original uh, comic strip or graphic novel. 
which was tremendously gory. Uh, the film is less gory, and possibly one of the one of the better uh, atmospheric slices of old Victorian London, foggy London town. Um, it looks and drips with authenticity. Uh, but again, is it frightening? No, it's not frightening, and it should be, uh, because Jack the Ripper, even though when you're watching a film about Jack the Ripper, you know he's not going to harm any blokes. He's, you know who he kills, we know the list of victims, it's you know, it, it's common knowledge, that kind of thing. But there's a film from a long time ago with Christopher Plummer tackling the exact same theory that this movie puts forward, called Murder by Decree, where he plays Sherlock Holmes and he investigates Jack the Ripper. And my God, that's a frightening film. James Mason plays Dr. Watson. It's a brilliant film. I've got it on DVD. If you can get all of it, pick it up, because that, that is a frightening version of this story. So if you're going to have one of the, a Jack the Ripper film on that night, that's one to pick. And on the subject of Jack the Ripper, um, and more akin to the old cosy-style vintage horror, which I, I love and adore, Fox Horror Classics released three absolute well, it's in the title, they're classic horror movies. This came out, I think it was the start of October, or maybe slightly earlier than that. Wonderful stuff. What you have here is The Lodger. Now, this is a remake. This is John Brahms' remake of Alfred Hitchcock's original um, Jack the Ripper story, The Lodger, starring Laird Krieger as the eponymous lodger who happens to be Jack the Ripper. No spoiler there. You know right from the way I go. Um, very misty, very foggy, very... Um, atmospheric, drips with mood, drips with menace very audacious filming as well and I heartily recommend it great film, eerie spectacular, showboat and stuff, you know, from the 1940s tremendously well done and a great transfer as well on this this is a three disc box set as I say um, also you have The Undying Monster, now for those of you who may have been looking at my recent Werewolf Full Moon Frenzy Festival on the on the site this was a film I've been really trying, really looking forward to for a long, long time. I saw this a long time ago on TV, and it made a very, very indelible impression on me. Now, I try to track it down. Finally, I got hold of this, and uh, it didn't really do it for me this time. I couldn't believe why. Had I seen a different film? I don't know. Um, but it, it's, a, it's a great little detective yarn, and there is a real werewolf in it as well. But there's a scientific explanation which kind of like jumbles the thing up. It's only a short film, just over an hour, but you have uh, an old English mansion on the cliffs, on the misty moors. You know, it's, it's got the atmosphere, but it's got a fair bit of comedy as well, and lots of rapid-fire, witty, 40s-style banter, which kind of takes you out of it. It's not kind of the thing that I was looking for. But, you know, if you love the old-style, atmospheric, moody, black-and-white, cosy-style horror, it's going to fit right on in there. The other one in this box set, this trio of movies, is Hangover Square. Now, this, again, Laird Krieger, who played The Lodger, Jack the Ripper in The The Lodger, he again portrays another homicidal maniac in London. Uh, We've jumped ahead a bit in time. Now, again, it's no spoiler here, folks. The very first scene you see is a guy being killed. And you, you see the killer, and the killer is Laird Krieger. But Laird Krieger, this, he's a very famous composer. He's very renowned. Um, he's a great, warm-hearted, lovely bloke. But he has a condition whereby if he happens to hear discordant music um, or even a discordant jumble of sounds, it, it can and will put him into a sort of 
dislocated state where he will then go and commit murders. Now, throughout the movie, he gets a few various relationships with certain women and um, chaos will ensue. Now, this was a film that I hadn't actually seen before and I really didn't have high hopes. But, my God, it's the film It's the film of the box set. It is absolutely tremendous. If you're going to buy this box set, buy it for that one alone. It is absolutely amazing. Very atmospheric. Tremendously well filmed. Again, by John, John Brahm, a German um, filmmaker, who did all three of these movies. And uh, there's some there's great stuff in there. Very, uh, very sort of uh, dark and demented for its time. Very ahead of its time psychologically. And because you're on the side of the killer, you understand why he's doing it. He's sympathetic, but it's also terrifying in many, many other ways. And there's a, so many great standout sequences. I don't want to ruin it, but I recommend you know for anyone who loves old black and white horror, you know the Fox horror classics. They're all standards. And they've all got extra features. They've got comedy tracks. They've got little documentaries as well. So it's a great, great box set. Heavily, heavily recommended. So Halloween night, there's a few choices for you there as far as I'm concerned. It's been a great, great month, as I say, for for releases on the, the horror genre. Blu-ray has obviously pipped you know, the race there with a lot, a lot of stuff coming out. And uh, yeah, it, Halloween should be great. If you can get a few of these, it'd be marvellous. Okay, thanks, Chris, for your recommendations. And finally, to wrap everything up for this month, we'll head over to Keith. And Keith, what would you recommend Halloween viewing? Well, for uh, my Halloween choice, uh, again, like Chris, uh, I always like to to, to give Carpenter's Halloween a watch on Halloween night. And to these ends, I based, I must add, on Chris's review uh, of of the actual, uh, the the quality of the blue... Blu-ray release. I did pick up Halloween on Blu-ray and I'm looking forward to sitting down and watching that. Alternatively though, I, I normally go for uh, one or two of the classics. I, I, I always love Psycho. You know, you, you, you can't really beat having a wee dip at the Bates Motel, you know. Uh, so keeping at the, the Psycho theme, you should be going for The Shining. You know, if, uh, if Jack Nicholson, he really goes off the rails on that one and Shelley Duval brings in a superb performance average with, with a nervous breakdown, which was sort of instigated by Kubrick himself, really. Uh, if you want to go sort of devilish, then I would go uh, the original Omen, uh, you know, the Gregory Peck one. The, 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 the remake of a, a couple of years ago was okay to a degree, uh, but the original Omen, I, I think, is quite disturbing at, at times. It is quite unsettling. And if you want to go gothic, then definitely go for Tim Burton. Uh, you know, anything from his, you know, the, the start with Ed, Edward Scissorhands uh, through to Sleepy Hollow will uh, will suit you well for Halloween night. So uh, that's my recommendations. Well, my thanks to Keith and uh, Chris for this month's podcast. And we'll be back again next month with all the usual uh, movie chat. And don't forget, also coming up this month, we will be coming to you from the What Hi-Fi Best of Stuff show. Uh, We'll be there for the entire weekend. And the Home Cinema podcast will follow after that with interviews and discussions about all the great new gadgets that we see. So this is Phil Hinton saying thanks for listening, and we'll catch you again next month. The AV Podcast was presented by Phil Hinton. Original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton, and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content, including sound clips and music, is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.